Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. It's episode 67. I'm your host, Jim R. Today we're going to be interviewing Chris O. How are you doing, Chris? Good, how are you? I'm doing well. So let's dive into our conversation here. Tell me about your childhood growing up. So I'm originally from a small city called Elyria. It's out north towards Cleveland in Northeast Ohio. Um, was born there and pretty much raised my whole entire life. Um, grew up with two parents, um, my mom and dad. Um, so my mom had a little bit of a background with uh, addiction. Um, I've come to find out later in life. Um, my father was an alcoholic. Um, my dad stopped drinking probably around the time that I was two. So I don't really remember him drinking very much. Um, but growing up, uh, was a little, a little bit difficult. And I think that's kind of where my story starts. Um, I was sexually molested when I was five years old, um, from a neighbor across the street. And, uh, long story short, I remember going to my mom and telling her about it and it actually kind of helped her get help because she was actually molested and raped by her brothers when she was younger. Um, but back in the day that really wasn't talked as much. Uh, people didn't really go out and get the help like they can now. Um, it was kind of shadowed or like, you know, hush, hush, you know, a lot of families didn't really discuss that type of thing. Um, but it was, it must've really like been a, a big weight to hold for a young child. It was, it was confusing. I like looking back, like I didn't really know, you know, I knew it wasn't right, but, um, I didn't really know how to feel because there was a lot of emotions when I was younger. I was, I went from like a happy spirit kid to like very angry and uh, very distant from people. Um, I like just, just trying to like think about it and go back. Like, it's crazy to think cause like, I don't really know when it started, but I, I became a very angry person really, really early in life. Um, had to go to counseling five, six, all the way up until I was like 12, 13, 14 years old. Um, did but, you tell uh, the counselor? Yeah, yeah, I told the counselor. I ended up having to talk to the police, the counselors, um, psychiatrist. I went through it all. So, how was your life at school like? Was it like a reprieve for you? Um, school was difficult. I put on a lot of weight. I think um, I had that addict mentality because I, I ate a lot, um, kind of covered my feelings with food. And like I said, looking back, I didn't realize I was doing all this until I got older. Um, but I would literally just eat and eat and eat. And um, kids would literally make fun of me, um, of my weight issues, and I would act out. I, I did not let anybody you know, make fun of me without me either acting out or saying something. So school, I was always in trouble. Um, my first expulsion, I was like three, you know, in third grade, um, getting kicked out of school. So, like I said, my childhood, I was very, very angry. What did you lot. do to get expelled? Um, in third grade, I believe it was just a fight. Um, I can't remember exactly what it was over, but I know that um, I've gotten in trouble quite a few times up to that point, but then something had happened where I'd act, acted out physically. I don't know if it was like me throwing something. I, I, I can't exactly remember, but I know that it, 
I ended up couldn't go on the the zoo trip in third grade because I was expelled from school. Um, like I said, I was I was very physically and um, like I said, even speaking out, like I would not let anybody, you know, make fun of me without some type of re repercussion, I guess. So. Yeah, it was hard. You remember you, it's funny you couldn't you remember you couldn't go to the zoo. It's it's interesting the little details that we do remember. Yeah, it was the first trip to the zoo I would have been able to go to. Yeah, it probably was important for you, but you didn't get to go. No. So at what point did you first use any type of substance? So I can remember. I think it was right before high school. So like seventh or eighth grade, <clears throat> I think it was about eighth grade. I had this girl that lived across the street and uh, I had a little, you know, a little, like a little crush or whatever, you know, and she was like, you know, first she said, hold on for a moment. If you, if you can hear me, you're, you're freezing up. Sorry, folks, for whoever is listening, technical difficulties. All right, here you are, you're back. There we go. But um, yeah, so I just, so just like she's, you know, was like, oh, I have this, you know, this pot or whatever. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's cool. I do that, you know, and yeah. I never, I never smoked pot. Um, and, you know, it actually was the first time I started smoking cigarettes. Because, um, you know, my parents smoked. I was around it all the time. And I knew what, like, what inhaling and exhaling is. Like, if I've actually inhaled, like, I thought it was crazy to me. I remember smoking my first cigarette, like, hiding in the backyard, like, and hitting it and being like, oh, my God, I actually inhaled. And I don't know if it's because, like, during the 90s and stuff like that, everybody, you know, a lot of people and smoking was completely different. Um, people didn't view it as, like, they did, like, back then, like, now. Um, so I was around a lot of secondhand smoke. So... I remember when I first smoked my first cigarette, I actually inhaled it, which to me was like surprising. I'm like, oh my God, I, I know how to smoke, you know, thought it was like cool at the time, you know, little did I know, like years later, I'd still be smoking cigarettes. But so, yeah, I, I, uh, we smoked, we smoked a little bit of weed when I was, was in like eighth grade. So I was like 14, maybe 15, um, closer to 14, I believe anyway. And I remember, uh, staring out the front window because the house was corner to our house which was like on the other side of the street but two houses over so I could like parallel with the house I can remember looking at the windows and being like oh my god how am I gonna get in there you know like both my parents were home you know it's the first time I ever smoked weed I didn't know how long it lasted or what was gonna happen you know it was it was all new to me but I remember I liked it you know I, I, I do remember I like liked it. I, I had a good time, so to say. Um, but uh, I would say not even much further down the road after that. I remember I had a kid in school who brought um, a bottle of vodka in a water bottle. And, uh, you know, I never have drank or anything like that. But I think I was in that transition of like, OK, these kids are starting to accept me, you know, for who I am, like I said, from the time I was in second and third grade all the way up into middle school, I really didn't have many friends and kind of stayed to myself. Um, but I think that was like the transition period of, like, of, of me feeling like accepted. So I remember him bringing a bottle, like a clear water bottle of vodka 
and he had it mixed with some like I think flavored water or whatever but I remember drinking it and I remember sitting in history class literally falling asleep passing out in history class um drunk but I never did get caught I don't know how I didn't get caught but um I never got caught so those were my first two times I say with any sort of substance um probably around that time period so at what point did you think you had a problem well um I would I would have to say it'd be way later in life um I went through a good long well, period but we'll get to that in a minute then it's way further real quick my other question is tell me about high school. How is it? How was you in your social life? Was it affected by drugs and alcohol, your social life? Um, in high school, not so much. Um, I didn't really, that wasn't the time where I'd say I picked off and ran with it. It'd be scattered here and out. Um, but high school, I would say was just as bad as any other time in school. Um, I started to get friends. I actually got uplifted from one school district to a complete other um, right near the end of my eighth grade year. Um, I was originally in my city school district, but because I was in, well, it was a couple of different things because I was in so much trouble and I was a troubled, a troubled kid, I'd say. Um, between that and then our, the line of the school district changed and it actually changed previously, but they allowed me to keep going to the same school because I went to it for so long. But I pretty much got kicked out of one school district, which was like a city district, and then put into a whole different school district, which was pretty much country type, you know, style, um, completely different um, than where I was from. And I, I like I said, I, I don't think it was much better. If anything, it was kind of worse because I had at least some sort of familiar, like familiarity with like the city schools and, and like the same people I went to school with, whether if I got along with everybody or not, and then having to go to a completely different school where it's like literally like you know they, they live for like the county fair and stuff like that it was a complete change up but I was also in trouble in high school um my first ninth grade year and I say first because there was a couple of them I ended up being uh expelled for selling Valium in school um I was never physically caught uh, nobody actually seen you know the pills luckily because I probably would have got charged um, but I ended up getting expelled for selling, um, you know, Valium or Klonopin. I can't remember which one it was. And uh, and I literally got expelled that first year in ninth grade. And then my second year, um, I remember I wanted to go to online schooling and my parents wouldn't let me. Um, it was It's free, like the state pays for it. They send you a computer, everything. And I was like, oh God, yes, I don't have to go to school. I remember telling my parents and my, my mom was kind of on board, but my dad had to say so. Um, and my dad and I didn't really have the best relationship growing up. Um, but he pretty much made it, you know, made it so I couldn't do it. And I remember sitting there like, how can I do this? How can I persuade or what can I do to be able to do online schooling? So I didn't have to go to public school anymore. And I literally was sitting on the bus, got on the bus that morning. And I remember talking with amongst a few different people. And I said, what can I do to get thrown out of school? Like thrown out of school. What can I, it's crazy to think, but what can I do to get thrown out of school? 
And some people threw out this idea and threw out this idea. And I was like, well, what if I make a, like, make a hit list? You know, well, I'll just make a hit list and I'll get thrown out of school. And I remember people on the bus were like, oh, put me number one and put me this number and put me that. So like, obviously it wasn't real, but in the times that we live in, you know, even if it was 12, 13 years ago, it was still, you know, a big deal, you know? And I remember I had somebody walk down to the office um, and say, hey, I found this hit list. And the, and the crazy thing is, is that not only did I tell people, but I put my last name on the top of it, you know, and it said my last name's hit list, you know, so unbelievable. But anyway, so I remember her going down to the office and then uh, somebody from the office came up when they needed me in the office. And I walked into the principal's office and he's like, why do you think I'm here? Why do you think that you're here? And I remember saying, oh, I already know why I'm here. I said, you know, I made, I made a hit list, this, this and that, it's not real. I just don't want to be in school anymore. And he was like, what do you mean it's not real? And I explained to him, like, you know, the, most of the people on there, I even put George Bush on there. Yeah. It's probably not a smart idea. Oh, yeah, um, it's true. It's technically um, against the law. Yeah. So I, he's like, you know, well, he's like, you know, and not saying I don't believe you, Chris. And, you know, they talked to a couple other students, but he's like, we have to go forward with this. I had to contact the police. So the police end up coming. And I remember them sitting there talking to me and I literally told them pretty much all the same thing. Like, this is fake. Explaining to them that I don't want to be in school anymore. I don't want to be here. I'd rather be homeschooled. And uh, they were like, you know, just talking, talking, talking. And, and they kind of slipped in my rights. I remember them slipping in my rights, right? Kind of like right in there right, as they were talking. Like, you know, the rights, right? Like he had, and he had to say everything. And I thought I was in the clear because after I was talking to the police, I remember walking into my guidance counselor's office and I think they had separated the girl that I sent to the office because she also got in trouble because she was an accomplice. So uh, she ended up going in, in, into the uh, principal's office with the police and I came out and I was sitting in the guidance counselor's office and I thought that uh, like everything was fine. I thought that was in the clear. I thought, okay, you know, I'm not going to get in trouble, like to that extent of like the law or whatever. And literally about 10, 15 minutes later, I remember them walking in and said, you know, Christopher, you know, you work, you put your hands behind your back, set your stuff down. You're being arrested for menacing, um, inducing panic and causing false alarms. And literally that was the first time I ever got arrested. And uh, yeah, definitely something I won't forget because I made the, the local newspaper um they twisted everything around they said that I was facing more charges my grandfather who I was really really close to he was like my father to me he I remember him picking me up um after I got out of juvie because I spent 24 hours in juvie and I remember him picking me up um and saying you know grandpa's disappointed in you you know he goes that's not the sort of stuff I want to read in the newspaper about you but he wasn't like angry angry like screaming at me he was just really disappointed like, I remember him just being really hurt. Like, he wasn't, you know, yelling at me or anything like that. He was just really, really hurt. And that, um, that's what that's what usually hurts us the most is, I think everyone's heard the, you know, the saying, you know, I'm, I'm not mad at you, I'm disappointed. That's, like, worse, especially if you care about that person's opinion. Like, you know, I'm assuming you did about grandfather. Yep. Yep. Um, that was definitely, like I said, 
that was that that that's kind of where I say it all kind of kick started really um because I ended up getting kicked out of high school I got expelled I got the full expulsion date which I think is like a 90 or 120 I don't know whatever it is I got basically kicked out the whole year I couldn't even do online schooling so my third year of being in ninth grade I did online schooling because at that point you know I think I was such so so much trouble that my parents were like okay like you know what else are we gonna do like I remember you know my mom always tried dealing with like my outburst um I remember she would call like the police and they would pink slip me and you know tell her like I'll oh, keep filling out these slips and you know we'll ended up getting him you know involved at the court what do you so mean it's pink? pretty it's a slip that you fill out whenever your child is I don't know how many states or counties do it but you fill out this form and it, it like if your kid is acting unruly like breaking things or like literally to the point of like screaming and hitting things or whatever they can pretty much fill these out and then they would send them into like the juvenile courts or whatever and they would set up a case and after you got so many pink slips then the police and the law would get involved as a kid so my mom would fill those out um which honestly i i never you know back then as a kid i'd be angry but like even during my addiction like i, I would think about it like I never held that against my mom. I was a really, really bad child. And like I said, my father was never really there. My father would only be there to kind of, he made fun of me growing up, um, call me names like fat ass and things like that. And I remember I liked, uh, and still to this day, I like pro wrestling and he would make fun of me about it, you know, and certain music I listened to. And uh, you know, he was more so of like, I don't know, he almost felt like the kids I went to school with, you know, he wasn't like more so like a father, it's kind of a bully. Um, but, uh, so during high school, my parents pretty much, I think got to the point, um, where they were just done. Um, I remember my dad came home drunk. He was epileptic. So if he would drink one or two beers, it'd be like, he drank like four or five with his medication. So he drank like a six pack. So it was like, he drank like 12, 13 beers and he hadn't drank in years prior. And, um, he came home and chased me around the yard. I was on the phone with my then girlfriend at the time um, and was just chasing me around the yard while he was drinking. And I remember my mom like telling him like to leave me alone. And then um, sometime between that and the next day, I remember, you know, I don't, it's kind of like a blackout. I can't remember exactly in between, but I'll never forget the next day, my dad threw a coffee cup full of hot coffee, like towards my mom's head. And luckily it didn't hit her in the head, but it hit the ceiling. And that was my mom's breaking point. My mom was like, I'm done with this. You Do you know? remember what happened that led your that led to be your father doing that? Um, they were just arguing. I can't remember what they were arguing about. Um, probably money. Um, my my father would control all the money. My mom um worked and like they shared a bank account, but my dad pretty much every every little cent that was spent. Uh, rather, if it was a credit card or a debit card or even actual money, physical money, my dad literally knew every single thing and would always question my mom. You know, I mean, the littlest of things like things like I remember my father getting upset because I needed lunch money for school. And my mom literally had to ask somebody at her job for for a couple dollars so I could have money for lunch because my dad wouldn't give it to me. That was just how my dad was. 
Wow. I wonder what went through his head and what he expected you to do. You know what I mean? Like if your mother hypothetically couldn't do that, that's pretty shitty thing to do. Right. It was it was once you graduate high school, what do you do? What's that? So once you graduate high school, what do you end up doing with your life? So I didn't end up graduating. I ended up going to get my GED. Oh, that's right, because you were homeschooled. Yeah. I uh and so Real quickly, when I did the ECOT, I never logged in. So that was the online school and it was called ECOT. It was like electric classrooms of tomorrow, you know, a thing in Ohio. And um, I never, I started to log in, you know, every so often, but then I remember I wouldn't log in like, but every other day. So that way I still stayed active, but I wasn't really doing the work. Um, So obviously it was no better for me than public school. I just didn't have to deal with the people and deal with kids making fun of me or whatever, getting in fights. So I pretty much blew that off, skipping to when I was 18 years old. So when I should have graduated, ended up getting kicked out of online schooling. And then um, when I got kicked out, I went and got my GED. Somehow, surprisingly, I was able to get my GED. Like I said, I didn't pay attention in school. I didn't... um, I didn't like school at all. So I, I don't know how I retained any of that information, but I was able to pass and actually go to like a, the fast track GED class. So where I only had to go for a couple of months and I got, I know I got to take my test like pretty quick. And then like, rather than a normal, like, you know, whenever you're ready type of GED class, which, you know, some people go for months and months before they get to take the test. So obviously I wasn't dumb. Um, and I, I got my, pass my GED test in 2009, so a year later, almost after I was supposed to graduate. So I was 19 years old. And I think this is where most of it really started was was in 2009. Um, My grandfather had passed away. And like I said, I was really close to him. He was a really, you know, like religious God, you know, family man. He was he was just a really good guy. I mean, baseball games, um basketball wrestling band practice anything that I did outside of school my grandfather was there and if my mom could make it if she wasn't working she would be there my grandfather was always there and uh I'd go to church with him all the way through I was 18 once he told me I didn't have to go to church (laughs) when I was 18 I was like oh you know I quit going to church and you know I almost wish I didn't stop going to church because for almost that whole year you know I was less time with my grandfather little did I know that he was going to get sick and uh he got pneumonia because my grandfather originally retired and wanted to go back to work because he was pretty much bored so he went to work for walmart and was a door greeter and ended up getting pneumonia and it just had never turned back um he got really really sick ended up having to go to the hospital and i remember this was december of 2009 the, my family, my grandmother and everybody were like, he's not going to make it. And this was two days before Christmas. They were like, we can take him off. The t- we can t- they can take him off the, um, the machine, but if they take him off the machine, he's not going to live. We don't want to do it until after Christmas. We at least want to celebrate Christmas and then we'll take him off. So my grandfather fully passed away on the 26th of 2009. And I'd say that would be where it really all kind of kickstarted with me. Um, I became angry um, with God, the idea of God. I didn't understand why God would, you know, do this to me or 
make somebody suffer who was such a good person. I mean, my grandfather was the type of person who they were married for 57, 56 years, um, you know, worked to provide for his family. There was never, you know, my grandfather didn't go out and cheat on my grandmother. I mean, my grandpa was a really good, honest, hardworking family man. Like, you know, from back the way that always used to, you used to be, you know, that's just how it was. And I, it was just, I was so angry, you know, and the thought of like, how could a God do this? Like, what am I going to do? You know, like, I feel like I lost not only my grandfather, my father, but like my best friend and 2009 leading into 2010, um, my mother would let me have people over, um, and drink and smoke, do drugs, whatever. And her thought process was, if I do this, I know that he's going to not be in trouble. I know that he's going to be home safe. I know that, you know, I know that he's not going to get in trouble with the law. I know that he's okay. And that was her logic, you know, um, she allowed before you. I, and before I go on with that, I like now it like, it like I sit there and I think about it. And I'm like, wow, like I really wish, you know, my mom was more of a mom than as a friend because that kind of hurt me. Um, and I'll get to that. So 2000, 2009, 2010, go to 2010. I remember I started, I started uh, taking ecstasy um, and I absolutely loved it. Um, I remember how it made me feel. I was happy, um, you know, and then the ecstasy became, <clears throat> we're having parties every day. So mom was allowing me to have these parties. We'd have almost a hundred to 80 people in this apartment, you know, and I thought I was like, oh my God, I'm the cool kid. I'm finally here. Like, look at this. I got everybody here. They're at this party. Everybody's having a great time. Everybody's, you know, laughing and playing beer pong and, you know, <clears throat> and I think that's kind of, like I said, where it started because I didn't process or deal with my grandfather. So for almost that whole year, and I do not exaggerate when I say this, that whole year, I probably, I took hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of ecstasy tablets and Molly and stuff like that. And, um, and I didn't eat very much. I, I lived off bush beer and pot and, you know, the occasional line of cocaine or whatever. Like, you know, I thought I was having a great time. You know, here I am 20, 20, 21 years old going, you know, and I'm like, this is, this is great. Like, everybody's like, oh, Chris is having a party, you know? So it's like, I went from like way over here to like, nobody wanted to be around Chris to, you know, Chris is the party. Like, you know, oh, Chris knows where this is at and Chris knows that, you know? So, you know, looking back, I think, like I said, it was here I am being accepted again. Like it felt good all while I'm feeling good, you know? Yeah. Um, and that went on for, you know, for about a year or two. And then the opioid, the opioid pandemic started kind of happening and um, I was going to a doctor. So not much happened between there and there, just a lot of ecstasy, cocaine, alcohol, random, you know, random pills here and there. Pretty much, like I said, I thought it was normal, um, but I was able to put all that down, you know. Where were you, where were you able to find all these different drugs? Um. So pretty much I knew from other people, from other people that I had partied with, they'd connect me with these people. Next thing you know, I was, I started selling them. So I was not only doing them, but I was selling them and I was pretty much the, the life of the party or providing all the fun, you know, all while I was not, not really making money, but I wasn't losing money. I was partying for free, you know? Um, so I didn't have to waste my money on drugs because I was making it back and then I would just 
you know, just, it was just a process. Yeah. And, and uh, like I said, I, it was like that for about a year, a year and a half. And, and that's kind of like right when about 2011, 2012, when the opioid, like, you know, the opioid pandemic really started you start hearing about the fentanyl and stuff like that. But uh, I started going to the doctor. Um, somebody told me, hey, you know, there's this doctor. He'll write you these scripts or whatever. Um, because I was kind of messing with a little bit of like Percocets here and there. But I didn't know how much of a grasp it had on me until later. Um, but um, I had a bad back. So I used that as an excuse because I have degenerate disc disease. Sciatica, pinched nerve. It's It's not fun, but... I had this doctor would really like literally write me 60 to 80 Percocets every two weeks. And, wow. uh, and I was like, this is awesome, you know? <laughs> and I thought it was awesome. And uh, long story short, I ended up losing my insurance. So when I lost my insurance, I had no way to get the pills anymore. And I think that right there is when I realized like I'm, I'm screwed. I'm fucked. I'm, I'm addicted to these things. I don't feel good when I have them, like all these other drugs, and alcohol that I picked up, I was, you know, I loved doing them, but I was able to put them down. I didn't, I didn't feel like I needed to have those things, you know. How um, did you lose your insurance? Um, I ended up losing my insurance because, oh, I can't remember what happened. It was a state covered insurance. I, oh, I know what had happened. So <clears throat> I'm not trying to skip around, but 2018 or 2008, I uh, had my oldest daughter. Um, so I became a dad and when I had became a dad or whatever, I was able to get state insurance because me and my ex, you know, were together and we had a kid together. We lived together. And at that point in time where I had lost my insurance is because I had moved out. We'd split up. Um, things were not good between us. She pretty much grew up. I didn't, you know, um, so yeah. we went two separate ways. So I moved back home. And that's kind of like where I, like I said, it's kind of all started with me, like party and stuff like that. So I lost my insurance. Um, once they found out that I pretty much had moved out, they took my insurance away. So for like good four or five, six months, I was having insurance. I was able to go to the doctor. But when she started filing for stuff and filing for child support, they're like, oh, wait a minute. You know, he don't, he don't have insurance. We need to take his insurance away. They're not together. You know, the state covered insurance. So I lost my insurance because they had found out that we were no longer together you know so uh I wasn't working at that time I remember so I had no insurance so I hit the streets and started buying them off the streets and like everybody else knew that knows like that has any idea with like how you know remember how it was um when this pandemic with the heroin and, and the fentanyl all started they started going after the you know the doctors and the pharmaceutical companies that made them. And then it's like the street dried up. And when the street dried up, all the prices went up. And I remember having this guy that I um, was buying pills from originally. He came in, this was uh, whew, 2012. It was two days after New Year's. And he came in and he had said, try this. He goes, I promise you, you're, you're going to love it. He goes, and you only have to do a little, little bit. And he's like, and you won't be sick and you won't need it for a long time. And this and this and that. And I was like, oh, I don't know. He goes, I promise you, I wouldn't steer you wrong. And that was the first time I ever did heroin. And I thought it was the, the, the greatest thing in the world. I remember being like, oh my God, I really don't even have to do, but 
you know, it was like a wee little bit, you know, and I'm thinking this is amazing. And little did I know, like literally that was a downward spiral more into like my addiction. And it was, it went on like that. Um, there's literally horror stories. Like I've seen, you know, that type of lifestyle is, is not, is, <laughs> you know, there's not fun. Like there's never no end of the rainbow where it was a pot of gold. Like, you know, usually you're going to end up dead or in jail or, you know, or homeless, or, I mean, you can go on and on. I mean, it, it never ends well, you know, but that first time I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And I was able to pick it up and put it down, you know, every other day for like maybe a couple of weeks, but not even, not even much more longer after that. Like literally I was doing it every day. It became just like the pills. It, like I needed it and I needed it like multiple times throughout the day. And, um, and I would only either smoke it or snort it. So I was like, you know, at least I'm not doing this. I'm not putting a needle in my arm. Yeah, that 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 lasted about four or five months because my friend at the time that I grew up with um, over those like course of that five, six years after high school and stuff, he would start injecting it. And he was like, he was like, I'll do it for you. And I remember, you know, letting him do it. And I was just like, oh my God, like, you know, this is, this is crazy. Like, this is amazing. You know, like this is, this is all I'm thinking about, you know, what made, and, you, what made you decide to let him do that? Was there because anything? I, I seen him do it. And I was getting to that point where like, I never had that good feeling anymore. It's like, I was chasing that good feeling. Um, you know, like the first time of using it. Um, yeah. Never had that same feeling again. I wanted that feeling that, that warmth, that rush, you know, and, and, and I let him do it because I didn't know how to do it, you know, and uh, yeah, I, I did it the first time and I thought it was amazing. And then I remember when I was going to let him do it a second time, um, he went and did his and he OD'd in my mom's apartment. Yeah. And I was just like, I was freaking out, you know, and this is before Narcan and stuff like that. Um, or like Narcan wasn't readily available then, but he OD'd in my mom's apartment and uh I remember like you know trying to give him CPR slapping his face throwing water on his face he just would not come to and then um something I, I don't know how I knew to do this but I remember I took a I had a suboxone strip and I stuck it on his tongue underneath his tongue you know um and I kept doing CPR and stuff like that and he finally woke up and then minutes later, after he finally woke up, he started getting sick. Um, and uh, he was all, he was like, oh, why did you do that? And, you know, why did you put that? Why did you put that in my mouth? And I'm like, dude, you were dead. And, you know, just like anybody else, usually when they wake up from something like that, they're like, what the hell? Why did you do that? You know, um, it's just crazy to think, you know. But I hear yeah. that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah crazy why did you did you hit me with that narcan for or why did you do this why did you do that i'm fine <laughs> but that's no, a thing um what happens is i freaking i was watching a documentary and they said basically what happens is it just really feels like shit like they when they wake up they feel like shit and that's why they're angry usually yeah yeah i mean i can understand you're going to sleep well you don't really realize that you're going to sleep or you're you're but overdosing and then you think you feel good and then all of a sudden you wake up and there's all these people around you and you're, you're waking up hurling and throwing up and angry and your body's shaking I mean I I guess it would be I've been lucky enough to never have to be narcan I don't 
know how I've never had to be Narcan. I'm thankful. I know that I've had plenty of blackouts, you know, um, but I've never had to be Narcan. It doesn't mean I've never overdosed. I might just been lucky, but, yeah. um, but yeah, I mean, I, I can't say I've experienced that feeling, but the horrors that literally that that drug had on me for years. I mean, from the time I was 2000, 2011, 2012, all the way up until literally about a year ago, like that, that drug had the biggest hold on me than anything ever, you know, and I would literally get stints of sobriety, six months, eight months, four months, two months, 30 days, two weeks. I mean, I've done it all a year and I would, I would just literally go right back to it, you know? Um, and it's, it's, it's literally, I mean, the stories and the things that I've seen in type of that type of use, like, it's just not worth it. And it's like, you literally, I felt like literally I was just devoting my life just to have that drug, just to feel normal. And it's crazy to think like, I took this drug to feel good. Now I need this drug to feel normal so I can live a normal life and go to work or, you know, and, and be a normal person. You know what I'm saying? To wait, to not feel yeah. sick. It's, 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 it's insanity. Like when I, whenever I think about it, it's like, wow, it's so mind blowing. And my last relapse, I remember I was, I, I went out and used because of an ex-girlfriend because she told me I was a junkie and that I was going to overdose and that's all I'll ever be. And this and this and that. And my mentality at the time, because I wasn't working a program or wasn't working on myself or wasn't doing what I needed to do to stay sober was like, Oh, I'll go show her. And I started using again and really quickly, right back to the needle. You picked off, you pick up where they left off. That's what they always say. And I, I definitely agree with that because that was, yeah, that was just something that it's just crazy how much of a grip that had on me, because like I said, I was able to literally pick up every other drug and put them down, you know? Um, but with that, it literally was like a blanket. It made me feel happy. It made me feel good. That warm feeling that I guess that acceptance feeling, like I didn't really care what other other others thought of me, like, because I felt good. So I didn't really care, you know, and how quickly that all went away whenever I didn't have that and literally just working and stealing and doing whatever I need to do just so I can feel normal. Like it's, it's, it's crazy all because nobody wants to go through the hell of that withdrawal. And especially with like the fentanyl now, it's not like how it used to be. People are on withdrawal, you know, it comes faster, but it lasts longer because it sticks in your cells for so much longer. Unlike actual how heroin and Percocets and stuff like that was like people are, are the withdrawal is, is 10 times worse. I feel and and mentally and physically, it lasts a lot longer. It's just not even, it's not even worth it, you know? Yeah, fentanyl is something that I've, I've, I think I've mentioned this before on the show that I've seen it or I've heard of it being put in marijuana. You get your weed and it's got fentanyl in it. Like that's crazy. Because what happens is sometimes people enter rehab and you know when you get there, well, at least for mine, they give you a drug test. Yep. Some people test positive for fentanyl. And they say, all I do is smoke weed. How did the fentanyl get in there? And if they're not lying, I mean, because there's really no point of lying to the rehab. It's not like they're going to do anything. They accept everybody. Like I said, at least mine did. Right. So my next question, 
Tell us about your recovery. So I, um, like I said, my last relapse, I stopped working a program. Um, what's cool about, you know, recovery nowadays, I feel, is that there's so many different ways to stay and get sober. Um, a lot of the old timers, some of them, not all of them, you know, in the rooms are, are becoming more accepting because things are changing. You know, this isn't, um, you know, this, this fentanyl and everything else, it's literally killing, you know, and it's like every year for the last couple of years, we see like the, the death rates are just higher and higher, you know, each year. And I think a lot of them are starting to accept like, okay, there's multiple ways to do this. And, you know, what worked for me is going to meetings um, and, 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 and getting honest and not only like being honest with other people, but with myself, because I've learned that I can literally believe my own lies. I literally would tell myself things and I literally would believe them like further down the line. I'm like, no, that's not, that's not true. You know, and little did I, you know, thinking back at it, it's like, I literally would tell myself these lies, like honesty, you know, going to these meetings. Um, I had to go to a counseling. Um, I got a peer supporter um, that really helps. Um, and I did, I did uh, do maintenance for quite a while. Um, like I said, everything's different for every other people. Um, yeah. I chose Suboxone. Um, uh, there was methadone and everything like that, but I knew that methadone wasn't going to work for me. I knew what I would do with the methadone, maybe not right then and there, but further down the line, you know, and I hear, I, you know, and, but everybody's got their own way. And that's what's is cool about methadone it. stronger. Is that the reason? Um, yeah. It, so like, I'm like with like Suboxone, there's a cap, you know, you could take multiple Suboxones and it's not going to make you feel any different methadone you could take more and more and you could literally get a buzz off of it like yeah. even people that's been you know on it prescribed if they go and take like double the dose or whatever and they never done that they're gonna get high and i mean that's just me and i don't i don't go against anybody that tries methadone but that for me just wouldn't work you know and i know a lot of other people that are like that too so so that's that's definitely what what helped with me like i said meetings and working on myself with the whole honesty thing, because being, being, being dishonest was something that was very, very, even the littlest lies would all catch up with me eventually. Um, like I said, working a program, going to peer support, maintenance, you know, um, and that's, that's just what has helped me, you know. Like I said, everybody's got their own way of getting here. As I say, if, if, as long as you're not picking up, you know, today, I think that's what matters, so. So um, I think the last question is, do you have any advice for people listening or watching? Um, my advice would have to be is, uh, you know, don't be scared if, you know, you're like me and you're out there actively using or, you know, that, that it is, it, it could be scary at that time because nobody wants to go through that feeling. But I can guarantee you if you pick up a phone or do whatever you need to do to try to get into a detox or, you know, because, you know, for me, it, it did not work trying to do it on my own. Um, you know, being at home, I literally had to go to a detox facility. It's not that bad. You know, they, they really do help you. And, and um, it's so much better to live a life of not having to lie, cheat and steal and do whatever for that drug. Um, <clears throat> there's, there's always, um, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel and it might not feel like it because for years and years, it didn't feel like it. But if I would have known that I could have done this a long time ago, you know, and it wouldn't be as bad, 
I probably, I'd probably be a lot more, you know, I just, I just know that it, it helped me and it could be a lot better. And there's nothing in this world that's worth using, you know, using over, especially, you know, drugs like heroin or meth, because those drugs will literally strip everything away from you. I think I seen the best thing on the internet and it said, uh, you know, showed a syringe and it said, all your life will fit into the syringe, your house, your car, your wife, your, your husband, your yeah. job everything you will lose everything and that's so true because i have i had everything and i've lost everything and i've done it a couple times but it's so much easier living a life you know like this versus chasing that high because just like i said i don't you'll never feel that same high if anything it's going to put you in the ground or put you in prison so you know detox and and, you know, doing whatever you need to do to stay sober and, and work on your recovery. I think that's what matters. And I think that's what a lot more people need to be accepting of because we all have our own routes. And as long as we're not picking up, I think that's the most important thing. So. Some great advice. Some great advice. So I want to thank you today for coming on the show and doing this interview. Thank How you. Do you feel? Definitely, definitely a humbling experience. All right, cool. I really appreciate you coming on. And for everyone watching and listening, give us a like. Also, subscribe if you want to see more interviews. As we post them, you'll be notified. Also, check this out on Instagram, Twitter, Reddit. We're also on Facebook, where I suggest you go under uh, the events tab in our Facebook group. And there you will see all the meetings we have. We do Zoom meetings daily at 630 Eastern Standard Time. So that's all I have for today. And until next time.